0: Christian Israel, Eurofolk Radio is back on the air live. This is Genesis to Revelation. It is January fifteenth, 20... Can you believe we're halfway through January already? (laughs) It just seems like the month started a couple of days ago. Man, time is flying. So, uh, uh, Dan, are you with me?
1: I'm here.
0: Okay, very good.
1: I I heard the music.
0: Excellent, excellent. All right, so uh, we want to... we're going to do a follow up show from last week because there are a couple of questions we wanted answered from uh, Numbers chapter 22. Uh, one about the serpents the, that uh, Aaron had versus the Egyptian priests, and uh, the other one about Balaam the prophet. Who was he? and uh, apparently there's been recent archaeological evidence to find out who Balaam actually was and so we're going to cover that and then get back to numbers but also yeah hi Mary also that uh the uh, I have a quick announcement here because 10 days ago the the southeast and the northeast had a, a huge storm uh for 36 hours, people were stranded on I-95, which is the eastern seaboard highway that goes south to north. And uh, there was a horrible storm. Now we're getting another one. That that area is getting another one coming in. So I just want to warn everybody who lives in that area. We're talking about northern Georgia, the Carolinas, Virginia, Maryland, uh, all the mm-hmm. way up into Maine, it looks like another storm like the last one so get ready and don't go out if you don't have to okay warning given all right okay dan so let's get into this uh let's do the serpent story first which uh okay so go ahead and i'll try to put Uh, the link in the chat room okay
1: they've already got the link okay yeah uh, this is uh, regarding the uh, Egyptians and how the Egyptian magicians turned their staffs into serpents. And uh, we're told in, if you back up this one verse, the text tells us in Exodus 7:11 that the sorcerers used some type of magic or secret arts to turn their serpents into rods. And Exodus chapter 7 verse 11 states, Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff and they became serpents, but Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Now we know that Satan has some degree of power, so demonic activity could have been involved here. However, Matthew Henry's commentary offers a simple solution. The magicians of Egypt in modern times have been long celebrated adepts in charming serpents. And particularly by pressing the nape of the neck, they throw them into a kind of catalepsy, which renders them stiff and immovable, thus seeming to change them into a rod. They conceal the serpent about their persons, and by acts of right, from Just... their dress, stiff and straight as a rod. Matthew Henry's commentary on Exodus 7. Whether the sorcerers accomplished this false miracle by demonic powers or by a simple trick, the superiority of God's power was clearly demonstrated in this passage. Although the sorcerers were able to imitate via trickery or demonic power, what Aaron did via God's power, Aaron's serpent dominated and devoured all of the sorcerer's snakes by itself, and then Aaron turned it back into a rod.
0: Okay, very interesting. So <laughs> that's probably all there is to it, folks, <laughs> right? So, uh, but, but also in modern days, the snake charmers, a lot of them, most of them, actually defang the snakes that they're charming, you know, so they put on a good show for people standing around, and I guess maybe they throw shekels in the basket that even has the snake in it, right? <laughs> and <laughs> to they, they get that serpent to stand up straight, you know the tongue is still pretty active you know, but uh, the snake charmer himself is not in danger of being bitten by that snake. Okay, that's just one of the tricks of the trade, right? So, it's obvious these Egyptians knew this trick to get the uh, snake to stand up rigid. Okay. So, uh so so that's one answer. I think probably the best answer so far of you know what really happened with these snake charmers, okay? But Aaron, you know, had Yahweh, they didn't Okay. All right, so now let's go to the real historical Balaam, which I think is a really
1: interesting article. Okay. Uh, This week's Torah portion is Balak, which tells the story of a mythical non-Israelite prophet called Balaam. Why do they call it mythical? Well... Right.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's the perception of people, you know, that it is mythical. No, it's a. If Gosh. it's in the
1: Bible, it happened. <laughs> it happened. <laughs> yeah. Period. No right. No question's asked. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, the story of Balaam is one of the most baffling portions in the Torah. First of all, it seems to have no significance to the plot of the Israelite travels in the desert. I disagree with that. Israel. Oh, yeah. Well, oh, yeah. <clears throat> the story unfolds as a psychodrama between Balak, the king of Moab, and the Medianite question mark, prophet for hire, Balaam Bin Beor, whom Balak is trying to convince to curse the Israelites. Finally, when Balak succeeds, Balaam's curse comes out as a blessing. In fact, this has become one of the most famous blessings in the Torah and the liturgy.
0: <clears throat> yeah, and
1: we had speculated that maybe
0: Balaam was a, a Chaldean priest because... The Chaldean priests—they had—they were roving priests that uh, uh, roamed around the whole area, and uh, you know were kind of like prophets for hire, <laughs> right? We, we have a lot of those today too, right? Uh, Joel Osteen,
1: maybe. Yeah, there you
0: go. <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, who's the guy? Uh, uh, Rick Wiles, another one, right? Yeah, we just found out that Rick Wiles donated fifteen thousand dollars to a Jewish synagogue. Because they were fined, wow. I forget what they were fined for. So, you know, if, if there's any doubt on whose side he's really on, that that settles the matter, right? It, okay, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Please continue.
1: <clears throat> How goodly are your tents, Jacob? Your dwellings, Israel. Secondly, the story is about a non-Israelite prophet who actually converses with God. Why would the biblical editors choose to include such a story, which seems to imply that prophecy is universal? Thirdly, there is the supernatural story of the talking donkey that sees visions of angels blocking its way. For all these reasons, it has been tempting for biblical scholars to dismiss the story as pure fiction and treat it as a parable. In his book, Who Wrote the Bible?, Richard Friedman claims that the story of Balaam comes predominantly from the E or Elohist sources. It's a folk tale that originated in the northern tribes of Israel rather than Judah with the possible exception of the donkey story, which appears to be a later edition. This view is also supported by some of the imagery in Numbers 23, which features a multiplicity of altars, as was the custom in Northern Israel, rather than in Jerusalem-centric Judah. Okay. But this view of Balaam changed in 1967, when archeologists uncovered the Dear Allah inscription, which has been carbon-dated to around 840 to 760 B.C., and seems to imply that Balaam was indeed a real person. Some epigraphy experts date the the writing style of the inscription to a later period around 700 B.C., which would place it after the destruction of northern Israel, but carbon-dating seems to support an earlier time frame. The location of deir Allah may be linked to the biblical settlement of Succoth, the inscription was part of a temple, most likely Medianite, which was used to worship multiple gods, Elohim. The Oxford Handbook of Biblical Studies <clears throat> describes it as the oldest example of a book in a West Semitic language, written with, a, with the alphabet and the oldest piece of Aramaic literature. The inscription is written in ancient Hebrew letters in a language that seems to be a local variation On Aramaic slash Canaanite Canaanite, with some Hebrew syntax thrown in. It was painted in red and black inks on fragments of a plastered wall. The heading is in red, as are the passages that Balaam heard from God, and the rest of the inscription is in black ink. There are twelve sections in the uncovered inscription and not all of them seem to be consecutive. According to Alexander Roth, the fragments were discovered by a Dutch archaeology team which worked in Jordan since 1960. The inscriptions were in bad shape and were painstakingly restored in Jerusalem and Holland over several years. Since 1972, the fragments were on display at the Archaeological Museum in Amman, Jordan. <clears throat> the writing of ink on white plaster is suggestive of another biblical text, Deuteronomy chapter 27. Verses 4 and 5. Therefore it shall be, when you have crossed over the Jordan, that on Mount Ebal you shall set up these stones which I command you today, and you shall whitewash them with plaster. Independent of the Deir Alas inscription, Israel Noel, in his book Hashem, dates Balaam's main blessing poem, Numbers chapter 24, verses 4 through 9, to a much later period than the Sinai period. Based on verse 7, his king shall be raised over Agag and his kingship exalted. He thinks this refers to King Saul's victory over Agag the, Amal- the Amalekite. 1 Samuel chapter 15 verses 4 through 8. On the other hand, Noel also cites Numbers 24, 17 as possibly referring to the fear Israel instilled in Moab, which would more likely date the poem to the time of King Omri. This is much more consistent with the Dare Allah timing as it dates to the 9th century B.C. based on another famous inscription, the Misha steel. The Misha steel, also known as the Moabite stone, is a steel inscribed stone set up around 840 B.C. by King Misha of Moab, a, king, a kingdom located in modern Jordan. Misha tells how Chemosh, the god of Moab, had been angry with all his people and had allowed them to be subjugated to Israel. But at length, Chemosh returned and assisted Misha to throw off the yoke of Israel and restore the lands of Moab. Misha describes his many building projects.
0: Okay, well this would mean, (laughs) obviously, the steel or steely, I'm not sure exactly how it's pronounced, uh, would be uh, inscribed at a later date, okay, in remembrance of what happened to, uh, you know, the Midianite king, the Moabite king, and the Israelites, okay, but clearly... The, the story is when the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness on their way to Canaan land, okay? So it, it has to be around that time, which would be more like 1100 BC, okay? so uh, But, of course, we're talking about secular authors and Jewish authors di- disputing the exact date. You know, we don't need to worry about that. <laughs> All
1: right. Davisha Steele is the longest iron age inscription ever found in the region constitutes the major evidence for the Moabite language and is a cornerstone of Semitic epigra- epigraphy and Israelite history the steel whose story parallels with some differences an episode in the bible's books of kings second kings chapter 3 verses 4 to 8 Provides invaluable information on the Moabite language and the political relationship between Moab and Israel at one moment in the 9th century B.C. It is the most extensive inscription ever recovered that refers to the kingdom of Israel, the house of Omri. It bears the earliest certain extra-biblical reference to the Israelite god Adonai and the earliest mentions of the house of David, i.e. the kingdom of Judah it is also one of only four known ancient inscriptions interpreted to mention the term israel the others being the mernepta steel the tel dan steel and the kirk monolith the tel dan steel is a broken steel inscribed stone discovered in 1993-94 during excavations at tel dan in northern israel it consists of several fragments making up a part of a triumphal inscription in aramaic left most probably by Hazael of Aram, Damascus, an important regional figure in the late 9th century BC. I recently took a photo of the actual tail dance steel while it was on display at the Metropolitan Museum in New York.
0: Okay, and I'll include this article in the, uh, when I uh, process our interview today so people can actually see this
1: stone. Okay, back to you. Back to Balaam. Based on the recent archeological evidence, It seems that Balaam was a real-life, well-known priest, Moabite or Midianite, who lived in the 9th century B.C. He was widely believed to be a genuine non-Israelite prophet. Even the sages acknowledged this in Midrash Babadbar Rabbah, 1420. There were three features possessed by the prophecy of Balaam that were absent from that of Moses. One, Moses did not know who was speaking with him whereas Balaam knew who was speaking with him. Two, Moses did not know when the Holy One blessed be he would speak with him, whereas Balaam knew. Three, Balaam spoke with him whenever he pleased. Moses, however, did not speak with him whenever he wished.
0: That's an interesting commentary, uh, but uh, Moses had to relearn, and the Israelites had to relearn the name of Yahweh. Uh, after coming out of Israel, out of, out of Egypt, because they were slaves there for four hundred years, and certainly they lost the the pronunciation and use of the name. Okay, but it was Jethro who informed uh, uh, um, what's his name? <laughs> Sorry, uh, during a break on Moses. Yeah, it was Jethro who informed Moses of Yahweh. Okay, and then the Israelites uh, further. Uh, furthermore, it picked up on the name and began using it again, all right? That's uh, what we're told in Exodus, okay?
1: So, okay, back to you. <clears throat> Based on the Balaam inscription, his prophecies were mostly morbid apocalyptic imagery, like this excer- excerpt. So the, si- the sky shut with your thick cloud. There let there be darkness and no perpetual shining and no radiance for you will put a seal upon the thick cloud of darkness and you will not remove it forever. For the swift has reproached the eagle, the voice of vultures resounds. In summary, all of the evidence seems to support the theory that the real historical Balaam was a well-known religious figure in the ancient Near East around the 8th to 9th century BC. He had a wide reputation for delivering morbid prophecies and curses and was a high priest in his own temple. Assuming that the biblical editors knew all this and knew that their readers knew it as well, it becomes more obvious why they felt inclined to include the story of Balaam's blessings to Israel in so much detail in the Balak portion. The story is also mentioned in Numbers chapter 31, verses eight and 16, where Balaam is killed in a battle. Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses five and six, in the book of Micah, chapter six, verse five, The Haftarah for Balak, as well as Joshua chapter 13, verse 22, and Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 2. Okay,
0: and as you were reading, it occurred to me there might have been more than one prophet named Balaam. Okay, so that, uh, you know, they're talking about the the evidence they have here suggests 8th to 9th century BC, which is really not far off from uh the days when the Israelites wandered through the wilderness, okay? But there may have been an earlier Balaam who uh you know was one of these uh, wandering priests, okay? That uh that obviously during the wandering in the wilderness, which is more around 12 to 1100 BC, okay? All right. So uh, again, uh when when the Bible speaks of a person if we have a difficult time a comprehending what's going on there's there's always good archaeology uh, in support of the bible now i'm looking at this inscription here it looks like the name of yahweh although in a uh in a uh, unusual form is on this stone okay so uh you know another thing worth taking a look at all right so let's get back to numbers we were in numbers 22 and maybe uh oh my My uh, program is in Genesis. Hold on, folks. i got to get to the right uh, book. All right. And um, so why don't we, it's not very long. How many verses is this? uh,
1: 41
0: 41 verses. Yeah. Uh, Let's see. Why don't we just pick it up from the, oh, here, Balaam's donkey and the angel. Why don't we pick it up from there?
1: Okay. Okay. That would be verse 22. Right. And God's anger was kindled because he went, and the angel of Yahweh stood in the way for an adversary against him. Now he was riding upon his ass, and his two servants were with him. And the ass saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way, and his sword drawn in his hand. And the ass turned aside out of the way and went into the field. And Balaam smote the ass to turn her into the way. But the angel of Yahweh stood in the path of the vineyards, a wall being on this side and a wall on that side. And when the ass saw the angel of Yahweh, she thrust herself in unto the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall, and he smote her again. And the angel of Yahweh went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right hand or to the left. And when the ass saw the angel of Yahweh, she fell down under Balaam, and Balaam's anger was kindled, and he smote the ass with the staff. And Yahweh opened the mouth of the ass, and she said unto Balaam, "What have I done unto thee that thou hast smitten to me these three times?" And Balaam said unto the ass, "Because thou hast mocked me, I would there were a sword in my hand; for now I would kill thee." And the ass said unto Balaam, "Am I not, am not I, thine ass upon which thou hast ridden every day, every?" Uh, ridden ever since I was thine unto this day? Was I ever wont to do so unto thee? And he said, Nay. Then Yahweh opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of Yahweh standing in the way, and his sword drawn in his hand, and he bowed down his head and fell flat on his face. <clears throat> and the angel of Yahweh said unto him, Wherefore hast thou smitten thine ass these three times? Behold, I went out to withstand thee, because thy way is perverse before me. And the ass saw me, and turned from me these three times. Unless she had turned from me, surely now also I had slain thee, and saved her alive. And Balaam said unto the angel of Yahweh, I have sinned, for I knew not that thou stoodest in the way against me. Now therefore, if it displease thee, I will get me back again. And the angel of Yahweh said unto Balaam, Go with the men, but only the word that I shall speak unto thee, that thou shalt speak. So Balaam went with the princes of Balak. And when Balak had heard that Balaam was come, he went out to meet him unto a city of Moab, which is in the border of Arnon, which is in the utmost coast. And Balak said unto Balaam, Did I not earnestly send unto thee to call thee? Wherefore camest thou not unto me? Am I not able to indeed promote thee to honor? And Balaam said unto Balak, Lo, I am come unto thee. Have I now any power at all to say anything? The word that God puts in my mouth, that shall I speak. And Balaam went, and Balaam went with Balak, and they came unto Kerjath Huzoth. And Balak offered oxen and sheep, and sent to Balaam and to the princes that were with him. <clears throat> And it came to pass on the morrow that Balak took Balaam and brought him up unto the high places of Baal, that thence he might see the utmost part of the people.
0: Okay, so to viewing the Israelites down below. So, was uh Balak bribing Balaam here? <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Obviously, uh, Balak wants Balaam to curse the Israelites, which is what the next chapter is going to be about. But uh, here, I think this may be and a bribe being offered to Balaam here. But Balaam says, uh, no, uh, whatever Yahweh puts in my mouth, well, except it's God. He, uh, God, he may not have known. It's not evident here that he knew uh, God as Yahweh here, all right, because this is Elohim. All right, but we'll find out. We'll, we'll see what's going on in chapter 23. All right, very interesting. All
1: right, chapter 23. And Balaam said unto Balak, build me here seven altars and prepare me here seven oxen and seven rams and balak did as balaam had spoken and balak and balaam offered on every altar a bullock and a ram and balaam said unto balak stand by thy burnt offering and i will go Peradventure yahweh will come to meet me and whose whatsoever he shows me i will tell thee and he went to a high place and god met balaam and, said, and he said unto him, I have prepared seven altars, and I have offered upon every altar a bullock and a ram. And Yahweh put a word in Balaam's mouth, and said, Return unto Balak, and thus thou shalt speak. And he returned unto him, and lo, he stood by his burnt sacrifice, he and all the princes of Moab. And he took up his parable, and said, Balak the king of Moab had brought me from Amram, from Aram out of the mountains of the east, saying, Come, curse me, Jacob, and come, defy Israel. How shall I curse whom God has not cursed? Or how shall I defy whom Yahweh has not defied? For from the top of the rocks I see him, and from the hills I behold him. Lo, the people shall dwell alone, and shall not be reckoned among the nations. Okay, so uh,
0: Balaam is actually using the name of Yahweh here, addressing him as Yahweh. So I think the article is probably correct in identifying him as a Midianite because Jethro was a Midianite descended, you know, from Abraham and Keturah. Okay, it's so it, the mm-hmm. possibility now this, this does not eliminate the possibility that Balaam was a Chaldean priest, you know, a wandering priest wandering up and down, you know, the that whole area, uh, all over the place, uh, seeking uh, seeking work as, as a prophet, right? <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So uh, it, I think the authors of that previous article are correct that Balaam is a Midianite. That, that's the most probable thing here. Okay, back to you.
1: Verse 10. Who can count the dust of Jacob and the number of the fourth part of Israel? Let me die the death of the righteous and let me last end be like this. Let my last end be like his. And Balaam said unto Balaam, What hast thou done unto me? I took thee to curse mine enemies, and behold, thou hast blessed them altogether. And he answered and said, Must I not take heed to speak that which Yahweh has put in my mouth? Right. (laughs) Better. Yep. Uh And Balak said unto him, Come, I pray thee with me unto another place, from whence thou mayest see them. Thou shalt see but the utmost part of them, and shalt not see them all and curse me them from thence. And he brought him into the field of Zophon, to the top of Pisgah, and built seven altars, and offered a bullock and a ram on every altar. And he said unto Balak, Stand here by thy burnt offering, while I meet Yahweh yonder. And Yahweh met Balaam, and put a word in his mouth, and said, Go again unto Balak, and say thus. And when he came to him, behold, he stood by his burnt offering, and the princes of Moab with him. And Balak said unto him, What hath Yahweh spoken? And he took up his parable and said, Rise up, Balak, and hear. Hearken unto me, thou son of Zippor. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, And shall he not do it? Or has he spoken, and shall he not make it good?
0: Okay, so... Behold, uh, Zippor, it says, is a Moabite. Zippor, okay. So, uh, oh, okay, no, he's uh, Balaam is saying this to Balak. Sorry, I had it the other way around. Okay, back to you. All right, verse
1: twenty. Behold, I have received commandment to bless, and he has blessed, and I cannot reverse it. He has not been. He has not beheld iniquity in Jacob. Neither has he seen perverseness in Israel. Yahweh, his God, is with him, and the shout of a king is among them. God brought them out of Egypt. He has, as it were, the strength of a unicorn. And this should be wild ox. Right. There's no such thing as a unicorn. Yeah. Surely there is no enchantment against Jacob. Neither is there any divination against Israel. According to this time, it shall be said of Jacob and of Israel, What has God wrought? Behold, the people shall rise up as a great lion and lift up himself as a young lion. He shall not lie down until he eat of the prey and drink of the blood of the slain. And Balak said unto Balaam, Neither curse them at all, nor bless them at all. But Balaam answered and said unto Balak, Told not I thee, saying, All that Yahweh speaks that I must do? And Balak said unto Balaam, Come, I pray thee, I will bring thee unto another place. For adventure, it will please God that thou mayest curse me them from thence. And Balak brought Balaam up to the top of Peor, that, looked towards, that looketh towards Jerusalem. And Balaam said unto Balak, Build me here seven altars, and prepare me here seven bullocks and seven rams. And Balak did as Balaam had said, and offered a bullock and a ram on every altar. That ends chapter 23.
0: Now we go to chapter 24. Uh, Hold on. Uh, Go back to verse 24 again, I believe it is. Yeah, read 23-24 again, because this looks more like a prophecy here.
1: Surely there is no enchantment against Jacob, neither is there any divination against Israel. According to this time, it shall be said of Jacob and of Israel, what has God wrought?
0: Yeah, and then verse 24.
1: Yeah. Verse twenty four, Behold the people shall rise up as a great lion and lift up himself as a young lion. He shall not lie down until he eat of the prey and drink the blood of the slain. Okay. So
0: I think this could be taken as a an end times prophecy when uh you know, when Yahshua returns as a lion, <laughs> right? The lion of Judah. But mm-hmm. uh and of course there were incidents where the Israelites in the house of Judah uh you know did uh Kick butt in the Middle East. But uh, that that verse may also be taken as an end time prophecy. Okay, uh, so, uh, all right, we're at the halfway point.
1: Yeah, let's continue. Uh, Chapter 24. Chapter 24. And when Balaam saw that it pleased Yahweh to bless Israel, he went not, as at other times, to seek for enchantments, but he set his face toward the wilderness. And Balaam lifted up his eyes, and he saw Israel abiding in his tents according to their tribes. and the Spirit of God came upon him. And he took up his parable and said, Balaam, the son of Beor, has said, and the man whose eyes are open has said, He has said, which heard the words of God, which saw the vision of the Almighty, falling into a trance, but having his eyes open, How goodly are thy tents, O Jacob, and thy tabernacle tabernacles, O Israel, are the valleys are as the valleys are they spread forth. "...as gardens by the river's side, as the trees of lime aloes which Yahweh has planted, and as cedar trees beside the waters. He shall pour the water out of his buckets, and his seed shall be in many waters, and his king shall be higher than Agag, and his kingdom shall be exalted. God brought him forth out of Egypt. He has, as it were, the strength of a unicorn. He shall eat up the nations, his enemies." And shall break their bones, and pierce them through with his arrows. He couched, he lay down as a lion, and as a great lion, who shall stir him up. Blessed is he that blesseth thee, and cursed is he that curseth thee. And Balak's anger was kin- kindled <laughs> against Balaam, and he smote his hands together. And Balak said unto Balaam, I call thee to curse my enemies, and behold, thou hast altogether blessed them these three times therefore now flee thou to thy place I thought to promote thee unto great honor, but lo Yahweh has kept thee back from honor <clears throat> and he thinks. Said unto, <laughs> right and, and Balaam said unto Balak, spake I not also to thy messengers which thou sendest unto me saying, if Balak would give me his house full of silver and gold, I cannot go beyond the commandment of Yahweh to do either good or bad of my own mind. But what Yahweh saith, that will I speak. And now behold, I go unto my people. Come, therefore, and I will advertise thee what this people shall do to thy people in the latter days.
0: Ooh, okay. Now we're talking about the latter days. Yep.
1: And he took up his parable and and said, Balaam the son of Beor has said, and the man whose eyes are open has said, He has said, which heard the words of God, and knew the knowledge of the Most High, which saw the vision of the Almighty falling into a trance, but having his eyes open, I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and shall smite the corners of Moab, and destroy all the children of Sheth. And Edom shall be a possession. Seir also shall be a possession for his enemies. And Israel shall do valiantly. Out of Jacob shall come he that shall have dominion, and shall destroy him that remains of the city. And when he looked on Amalek, he took up his parable and said, Amalek was the first of the nations, but his latter end shall be that he perish forever. And he looked on the Kenites and took up his parable and said, Strong is thy dwelling place, and thou puttest thy nest in a rock, Nevertheless, the Kenite shall be wasted until Asher shall carry thee away, carry the away captive. And he took up his parable and said, Alas, who shall live when God doeth this? And ships shall come from the coast of Chittim and shall afflict Asher and shall afflict Eber, and he also shall perish forever. And Balaam rose up and went and returned to his place, and Balak also went his way.
0: Okay, well, yeah, those things came to pass. Uh, Chiham and Assyria and Eber. I'm not well. He, the Hebrews, I guess. Yeah, a lot of Hebrews perished because they were, uh, you know, lawbreakers. So, uh, all right, very, very good. Well, uh, we find uh, that very clearly, Balaam was not able to contradict the word of Yahweh, and uh, obviously, Balak, you know, probably threatened Balaam with death if he didn't come, uh, come with the prophecy he wanted. Okay, with the judgment he wanted. So, But uh, Balaam uh, survived this, uh, th- this whole episode. However, now we find out that uh, Balak is not done with Balaam, and uh, he continues on. Let's, let's keep going.
1: Okay, Numbers mm-hmm. chapter 25. And Israel abode in Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. And they called the people unto the sacrifices of their gods, and the people did eat and bowed down to their gods. And Israel joined himself unto Baal Peor, and the anger of Yahweh was kindled against Israel. And Yahweh said unto Moses, Take all the heads of the people and hang them up before Yahweh against the sun, that the fierce anger of Yahweh may be turned away from Israel. And Moses said unto the judges of Israel, Slay ye every one his men that were joined unto Baal Peor. And behold, one of the children of Israel came and brought unto his brethren a Midianitish woman in the sight of Moses, and in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel, who were weeping before the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, saw it, he rose up from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand. And he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through. The man of Israel and the woman through her belly, so the plague was stayed from the children of Israel, and those that died in the plague were twenty and four thousand. Okay, so uh,
0: intermarrying with forbidden tribes will get <laughs> will get the death penalty. Mm-hmm. All right, ultimately the death penalty. All right, uh, even today, you know, when the judgment day comes, that that's what all these race mixers are going to experience. All right,
1: back to you. Verse ten. And Yahweh spake unto Moses, saying, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, has turned my wrath away from the children of Israel, while he was zealous for my sake among them, that I consume not the children of Israel in my jealousy. Wherefore, say, Behold, I give unto him my covenant of peace, and he shall have it, and his seed after him, even the covenant of an everlasting priesthood, for he was zealous for his God and made an atonement for the children of Israel. Now the name of the Israelite that was slain, even that was slain with the Midianitish woman, was Zimri, the son of Salu, a prince of a chief house among the Simeonites. And the name of the Midianitish woman that was slain was Cosbi, the daughter of Zor. He was head over a people and of a chief house in Midian. And Yahweh spake unto Moses, saying, Vex the Midianites and smite them for they vex you with their wiles, wherewith they had beguiled you in the manner in the matter of Peor, and in the matter of Cosby, the daughter of a prince of Median, their sister, which was slain in the day of the plague for Peor's sake. End of chapter 25. Okay,
0: so uh, <clears throat> we actually have the name of the Israelite man. <laughs> etched in stone, fantastic. All right, mm-hmm. 26. You know, a lot of our
1: people were... Uh, Guilty of of that sin. Oh, yeah. Uh, Judah was guilty. Uh, Mm -hmm. Solomon was guilty.
0: Simeon. Simeon also. Yeah. Yeah. He had a a Canaanite wife. Yeah. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Numbers chapter 26. And it came to pass after the plague that Yahweh spake unto Moses and, and unto Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, saying, Take the sum of all the congregation of the children of Israel from 20 years old and upward throughout their father's house all that are able to go to war in Israel. And Moses and Eleazar the priest spake with them in the plains of Moab by Jordan near Jericho, saying, Take the sum of the people from 20 years old and upward, as Yahweh commanded Moses and the children of Israel, which went forth out of the land of Egypt. Reuben, the eldest son of Israel, the children of Reuben, Hanok, of whom cometh the family of the Hanakites, of Palu, the family of the Paluites, of Hezron, the family of the Hezronites, of Carmi, the family of the Carmites. These are the families of the Reubenites, and they that were numbered of them were forty and three thousand and seven hundred and thirty. And the sons of Pallu, Eliab, and the sons of Eliab, Nemuel, and Dathan, and Abiram. That is, that Dathan and Abiram, which were famous in the congregation, who strove against Moses and against Aaron in the company of Korah, when they strove against Yahweh. And the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up together with Korah when that company died. What time the fire devoured 250 men and they became a sign. Notwithstanding, the children of Korah died not. The sons of Simeon after their families, of Nemuel, the family of the Nemuelites of Jamin, the family of the Jaminites, of Jakin, the family of the Jaconites, of Zarah, the family of the Zarites. Zer- of Shaul, the family of the Shalites; These are the families of the Simeonites, 20 and 2,200. The children of Gad after their families. Of Zephon, the family of the Zephonites. Of Haggai, the family of the Haggites. Of Shuni, the family of the Shunites. Of Ozni, the family of the Osnites. Of Eri-, Eri, the family of the Arites; Of Arad, the family of the eradites Of Ereli, the family of the Erelites. These the families of the children of Gad, according to those that were numbered of them.
0: Now it's 40, interesting. 000.
1: Yeah, sorry, sorry to interrupt here, but uh, uh, the
0: word "Ari" or "Ari" is an old name for Ireland. So I'm wondering if maybe some of these guys, if Ari himself, wandered over to Ireland and gave it his name. It's possible. No. Okay, okay. Yeah. All right.
1: Okay. Back to you. Verse 19: The sons of Judah were Er and Onan. And Ur and Onan died in the land of Canaan. And the sons of Judah were, uh, after their families, were of Shelah, the family of the Shelanites, of Pheraz, the family of the Pherazites, of Zerah, the family of the Zorites. And the sons of Pheraz were of Hezron, the family of the Hezronites, of Hamul, the family of the Hamulites. These are the families of Judah according to those that were numbered of them, threescore and sixteen thousand and five hundred of the sons of Issachar, after their families, of Tola, the family of the Tolites, of Pua, the family of the Punites, of Jashub, the family of the Jashubites, of Shimron, the family of the Shimronites. These are the families of Issachar according to those that were numbered of them, threescore and 4,300. Of the sons of Zebulun, after their families, of Sareb, the family of the Sardites, of Elon, the family of the Elonites, of Jalil, the family of the Jalilites, these are the families of the Zebulonites, according to those that were numbered of them. three score thousand, and five hundred. The sons of Joseph, after their families, were Manasseh and Ephraim. Of the sons of Manasseh, of Macher the family of the Macherites <clears throat> And Mekr begat Gilead, of Gilead came the family of the Gileadites. These are the sons of Gilead, of Jazir, the family of the Jezrozites of Helic, the family of the Helikites, and of Asriel, the family of the Azraelites, and of Shechem, the family of the Shechemites, and of Shemida, the family of the Shemidites, and of Hefer, the family of the Hef- Heferite- Heferites, And Zilef- and Zeliphadad, the, fam- the son of Hefer had no sons but daughters. And the names of the daughters of, of Zelephad were... Mala, Noah, Hagla, Milcah, and Terzah. These are the families of Manasseh and those that were numbered of them 50 and 2,700. These are the sons of Ephraim after their families. Shethilah, the family of the Shatalites, of Beker, the family of the Bekarites, of Tehan, the family of the Tehanites. And these are the sons of Shethu- Shethelah, of Aaron, the family of the Aaronites. Yeah, and this may be the source of the surname
0: Becker, okay, where a lot of uh, Caucasians have that surname, Becker.
1: Oh, yeah, B-E, spelled Uh, B-E-C-K-E-R, instead of B-E-C-H-E-R, yeah. Right, okay. Verse, uh, where was I, verse 36, and these are the sons of Shatela of Aaron, the family of the Aaronites. And these are the families of the sons of Ephraim, according to those that were numbered of them, 30 and 2,500. These are the sons of Joseph, after their families, the sons of Benjamin, after their families, of Bela, the family of the Belites, of Ashbel, the family of the Ashbelites, of Aharam, the family of the Aharmites, of Shufam, the family of the Shufanites, of Hufam, the family of the Hufamites. And the sons of Belah were Ard and Naaman, of Ard, the family of the Ardites, and of Naaman, the family of the Naamites. These are the sons of Benjamin after their families. And they that were numbered of them were 40 and 5,600. These are the sons of Dan after their families, of Shuham, the family of the Shuhamites. These are the families of Dan after their families. All the families of the Shuhamites according to those that were numbered of them, were three score and 4,400 mm. of the children of Asher after their families, of Jemna, the family of the Jemnites, of, of Jesu, the family of the Jesuites, of Bariah, the family of the Barites, of the sons of Bariah, of Heber, the families of the Heberites, of Malkiel, the family of the Malculites and the name of the daughter of Asher was Sarah. These are the families of the sons of Asher, according to those that were numbered of them, who were fifty and three thousand and four hundred. Of the sons of Naphtali, after their families. Of Jezeel, the family of the Jezolites. Of Gunai, the family of the Gunites. Of Jezer, the family of the Jezreites; Of Shillam, the family of the Shillamites. These are the families of Naphtali, according to their families. And they that were numbered of them were forty and five thousand and four hundred. These were the numbered children numbered of the children of Israel, six hundred thousand and a thousand seven hundred and thirty. And Yahweh spake unto Moses, saying, Unto these the land shall be divided for an inheritance according to the number of names. To many thou shalt give the more inheritance, and to few thou shalt give the less inheritance. To every one shall his inheritance be given according to those that were numbered of him. Notwithstanding, the land shall be divided by lot, according to the names of the tribes of their fathers, they shall inherit. According to the lot, shall the possession thereof be divided, many and few, between many and few. And these are they that were numbered of the Levites after their families: of Gershon, the family of the Gershonites; of Kohath, the family of the Kohathites; of Merari, the family of the Merarites. These are the families of the Levites the family of the Libnites, the family of the Hebronites, the family of the Malites, the family of the Mushites, the family of the Korathites, and Kohath begat Amram. And the name of Amram's wife was Jochebed, the daughter of Levi, whom her mother bare to Levi in Egypt. And she bare unto Amram Aaron and Moses, and Miriam their sister. And unto Aaron was born Nadab, and Abihu, Elazar and Ithamar, Nadab and Abihu died when they offered strange fire before Yahweh. And those that were numbered of them were twenty and three thousand, all males from a month old and upward, for they were not numbered among the children of Israel, because there was no inheritance given them among the children of Israel. These are they that were numbered by Moses and Elazar the priest, who numbered the children of Israel in the plains of Moab by Jordan near Jericho. But among these there was not a man of them whom Moses and Aaron the priest numbered when they numbered the children of Israel in the wilderness of Sinai. For Yahweh had said of them, They shall surely die in the wilderness. And there was not left a man of them save Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of Nun. End of chapter 26. Okay, so that the
0: tribe of Judah and the tribe of Joseph, well in this case uh, Ephraim, which is of course of Judah, of Joseph would uh, be the leading tribes from then on and have been ever since. hmm Yeah.
1: All right. Chapter, Chapter 27. Then came the daughters of Zelophehad, the son of Hefer, the son of Gilead, the son of Maker, the son of Manasseh, of the families of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, <laughs> and these are the names of his daughters. Bala, Noah, and Hagla, and Milcah, and, and they stood before Moses, and before Eleazar the priest, and before the princes, and all the congregation, by the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, saying, Our father died in the wilderness, and he was not in the company of them that gathered themselves together against Yahweh in the company of Korah, but died in his own sin, and had no sons. Why should the name of our father be done away from among his family, because he has no son? given to us therefore a possession among the brethren of our father. And Moses brought their cause before Yahweh. And Yahweh spake unto Moses, saying, The daughters of Zelophehad speak right. Thou shalt surely give them a possession of an inheritance among their father's brethren. And thou shalt cause the inheritance of their father to pass unto them. And thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel, saying, If a man die and have no son, Then you shall cause his inheritance to pass unto his daughter. And if he have no daughter, then you shall give his inheritance unto his brethren. And if he have no brethren, then you shall give his inheritance unto his father's brethren. And if his father have no brethren, then you shall give his inheritance unto his kinsman that is next to him of his family. Not to the Gentiles?
0: Not to the Gentiles? (laughs) (laughs) No. No. No, absolutely not. Yes.
1: And it shall be unto the children of Israel a statute of judgment, as Yahweh commanded Moses. All
0: right.
1: And Yahweh said unto Moses, Get thee up unto this Mount Abiram, Aber- and see the land which I have given unto the children of Israel. And when thou hast seen it, thou shalt also be gathered unto thy people, as Aaron thy brother was gathered. For ye rebelled against my commandment in the desert of Zin, in the strife of the congregation, to sanctify me at the water before their eyes that is, the water of Meribah and Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin. And Moses spake unto Yahweh, saying, Let Yahweh, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation, which may go out before them, and which may go in before them, and which may lead them out, and which may bring them in, that the congregation of Yahweh be not as sheep which have no shepherd. And Yahweh said unto Moses, Take thee Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the spirit, And lay thine hand upon him, and set him before Eleazar the priest, and before all the congregation, and give him a charge in their sight. And thou shalt put some of thine honor upon him, that all the congregation of the children of Israel may be obedient. And he shall stand before Eleazar the priest, who shall ask counsel for him after the judgment of Urim before Yahweh. At his word shall they go out, and at his word They shall come in, both he and all the children of Israel with him, even all the congregation. And Moses did as Yahweh commanded him. And he took Joshua and set him before Eleazar the priest and before all the congregation. And he laid his hands upon him and gave him a charge as Yahweh commanded by the hand of Moses. End of chapter 27. Okay. Chapter 28. And Yahweh spake unto Moses, saying... Command the children of Israel and say unto them, My offering and my bread for my sacrifice is made by fire. For a sweet savor unto me shall ye observe to offer unto me in their due season. And thou shalt say unto them, This is the offering made by fire which ye shall offer unto Yahweh. Two lambs of the first year without spot by day for a continual burnt offering. The one lamb shalt thou offer in the morning and the other lamb shalt thou offer at evening and a tenth part of an ephah of flour for a meat offering mingled with the fourth part of an inn, hen of beaten oil. It is a continual burnt offering, which was ordained in Mount Sinai for a sweet savor, a sacrifice made by fire unto Yahweh. And the drink offering thereof shall be the fourth part of an hen for the one lamb. In the holy place shalt thou cause the strong wine to be poured unto Yahweh for a drink offering. And the other lamb shalt thou offer at even, as the meat offering of the morning, and as the drink offering thereof, thou shalt offer it, a sacrifice made by fire of a sweet savor unto Yahweh. And on the Sabbath day two lambs in the first year without spot, and two tenth deals of flour for a meat offering, mingled with oil, and the drink there offering thereof. This is the burnt offering of every Sabbath, beside the continual burnt offering, and his drink offering. And in the beginnings of your months... You shall offer a burnt offering unto Yahweh, two young bullocks and one ram, seven lambs at the first year without spot, and three-tenths deals of flour for a meat offering mingled with oil for one bullock, and two-tenths deals of flour for a meat offering mingled with oil for one ram. Right. Okay.
0: Uh, and, let me interject here. Sorry. Because in Numbers 28:7 it uses the expression strong wine and you know, there are people in identity who say that uh, when uh, when we have uh, communion, it shouldn't be wine. It should be grape juice because they don't believe it's real wine. It's just grape juice. But here, this is strong wine. It is Shekar. It says an intoxicant. That is intensely alcoholic liquor, strong drink, strong wine. Back to you.
1: Okay. All right. <clears throat> Verse 13, and a several tenth deal of flour mingled with oil for a meat offering unto one lamb, for a burnt offering of a sweet savor, a sacrifice made by fire unto Yahweh. And their drink offering shall be, in half, shall be half an hen of wine unto a bullock, and the third part of an hen unto a ram, and a fourth part of an hen unto a lamb. This is the burnt offering of every month throughout the months of the year. And one kid of the goats for a sin offering unto Yahweh shall be offered beside the continual burnt offering and his drink offering. I want to get back to that about the uh, strong drunk. drink. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, personally, I don't drink alcohol at all, but there is no sin in drinking alcohol in small amounts. Of course, it's not for us to go out and, and get yeah. drunk. But I think it's in Timothy that says uh, you can take uh Drink small amounts. I can't remember. I'll have to look okay. that up the exact verse, yeah. but yeah. I just wanted to say
0: that. Yeah, well, I've heard the argument that the word interpreted wine or translated as wine is really grape juice, and uh, I don't think so. <laughs>
1: right? I don't, I don't, I don't yeah. think so either. I think yeah. you're
0: right. Should, uh, should you uh, uh, drink grape juice in, uh, what's the term, moderation? <laughs> <laughs> right. That's right. Uh, yeah, I don't think we have to be encouraged to drink grape juice in moderation, right? So anyway, uh, yeah, I, I think, uh, and then when Yahshua turned water into wine, well, I mean, it could have turned it into grape juice, but, you know, people generally drink, and, and, and I think also we have to take into consideration that often, you know, people didn't have clean water, okay? Mm-hmm. So they had to eat, had to drink fermented water, whether it be wine or beer or something else, to uh, cleanse the water, so they could drink. Uh, you know, because they didn't have clean water to drink. Is what I'm getting at. Yeah. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. So we have about uh, three minutes left, and just a few verses left. So please continue. Yeah. Go ahead. You're going to say something. Okay.
1: Yeah, I was just going to quote that verse. In, oh, okay. Uh, it's in First First Timothy, uh, chapter five, uh, verse 23, where it says. And I'm not reading all the verses before this, but it just says, "Drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thine often infirmities." Mm-hmm. So, you know, yeah. um, it's, it's saying, I guess, if you, if you, maybe you're a uh, very upset yeah. or something, and you need, you can't sleep at night, you need a little bit of right alcohol, well, I guess, to help yeah. you get sleep.
0: Alcohol kills germs. Okay, yeah. it does kill germs, right? I don't know if grape, I think grape juice would <laughs> allow germs to grow, right? So with all the uh, sugar in it. Yeah, yeah, with all the sugar, right? And, and the alcohol mm-hmm. is produced from the sugar. So it, it, you know, but then you have different versions of wine, which are, I don't know if they add sugar to them, right? I know in Sangrita, they add fruit juice, you know, which is sugar, right? Mm-hmm. So dry wine wouldn't really have much sugar. All right, okay, uh, a few more verses left.
1: Okay, verse 16. And the four- and in the 14th day of the first month is the Passover of Yahweh. And in the 15th day of this month is the feast. Seven days shall unleavened bread be eaten. In the first day shall be an holy convocation. You shall do no manner of servile work therein. But you shall offer a sacrifice made by fire for a burnt offering unto Yahweh two young bullocks and one ram, and seven lambs of the first year. Right, okay. They, I can see we're not
0: going to get through this today. It's uh, too okay. important because this is a Passover feast. We we need to do this in greater detail. So Passover, uh, uh, Numbers twenty we'll pick it up from there next week. Okay, Dan? Okay.
1: I will write this down so okay. I do not forget where we yeah. All, <laughs> right.
0: All right, very good. All right. So... And then, uh, you know, well, uh, our, our next major feast is Passover, so let's get it right, folks. <laughs> All right. Yep, that's Thank, Thanks for listening, everybody. Praise Yahweh. Pass the ammunition. See you next time. Bye-bye. Bye.